TED Audio Collective. This TED Talk features nonprofit litigation and policy director Erica Pinheiro, recorded live at TED Salon Border Stories 2019. Support comes from Zuckerman Spader. Through nearly five decades of taking on high-stakes legal matters, Zuckerman Spader is recognized nationally as a premier litigation and investigations firm. Their lawyers routinely represent individuals, organizations, and law firms in business disputes, government, and internal investigations, and at trial, when the lawyer you choose matters most. Online at Zuckerman.com. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Capital One Bank. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Twice a week, I drive from my home near Tijuana, Mexico, over the U.S. border to my office in San Diego. The stark contrast between the poverty and desperation on one side of the border and the conspicuous wealth on the other always feels jarring. But what makes this contrast feel even starker is when I pass by the building that those of us who work on the border unaffectionately refer to as the Black Hole. The Black Hole is the Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, facility at the San Ysidro Port of Entry, right next to a luxury outlet mall. It's also where, at any one time, there's likely 800 immigrants locked in freezing, filthy concrete cells below the building. Up top, shopping bags and frappuccinos. Downstairs, the reality of the U.S. immigration system. And it's where, one day in September of 2018, I found myself trying to reach Anna, a woman whose CBP had recently separated from her seven-year-old son. I'm an immigration attorney and the policy and litigation director of Al Otro Lado, a binational nonprofit helping immigrants on both sides of the U.S.-Mexico border. We'd met Anna several weeks earlier at her Tijuana office, where she explained that she feared she and her son would be killed in Mexico. So we prepared her for the process of turning herself over to CBP to ask for asylum. A few days after she'd gone to the port of entry to ask for help, we received a frantic phone call from her family members in the United States, telling us that CBP officials had taken Anna's son from her. Now, not that this should matter, but I knew that Anna's son had special needs, And once again, this news filled me with a sense of panic and foreboding that has unfortunately become a hallmark of my daily work. I had a signed authorization to act as Anna's attorney, so I rushed over to the port of entry to see if I could speak with my client. Not only would CBP officials not let me speak to Anna, but they wouldn't even tell me if she was there. I went from supervisor to supervisor, begging to submit evidence of Anna's son's special needs, but no one would even talk to me about the case. It felt surreal to watch the shoppers strolling idly by what felt like a life-and-death situation. After several hours of being stonewalled by CBP, I left. Several days later, I found Anna's son in the foster care system. But I didn't know what happened to Anna until over a week later, when she turned up at a detention camp a few miles east. Now, Anna didn't have a criminal record, and she followed the law when asking for asylum. Still, immigration officials held her for three more months until we could win her release and help her reunify with her son. Anna's story is not the only story I could tell you. There's Mateo, an 18-month-old boy 
who was ripped from his father's arms and sent to a government shelter thousands of miles away, where they failed to properly bathe him for months. There's Amadou, an unaccompanied African child who was held with adults for 28 days in CBP's horrific facilities. Most disturbingly, there's Maria, a pregnant refugee who begged for medical attention for eight hours before she miscarried in CBP custody. CBP officials held her for three more weeks before they sent her back to Mexico, where she's being forced to wait months for an asylum hearing in the United States. Seeing these horrors day in and day out has changed me. I used to be fun at parties, but now I inevitably find myself telling people about how our government tortures refugees at the border and in the detention camps. Now people try to change the subject and congratulate me for the great work I'm doing in helping people like Anna, but I don't know how to make them understand that unless they start fighting harder than they ever thought possible, we don't know which of us will be the next to suffer Anna's fate. Trump's mass separations of refugee families at the southern border shocked the conscience of the world and woke many to the cruelties of the U.S. immigration system. It seems like today more people than ever are involved in the fight for immigrant rights, but unfortunately, the situation is just not getting better. Thousands protested to end family separations, but the government is still separating families. More than 900 children have been taken from their parents since June of 2018. Thousands more refugee children have been taken from their grandparents, siblings, and other family members at the border. Since 2017, at least two dozen people have died in immigration custody, and more will die, including children. Now, we lawyers can and will keep filing lawsuits to stop the government from brutalizing our clients, but we can't keep tinkering around the edges of the law if we want migrants to be treated humanely. This administration would have you believe that we have to separate families and we have to detain children because it will stop more refugees from coming to our borders. But we know that this isn't true. In fact, in 2019, the number of apprehensions at our southern border have actually gone up. And we tell people every day at the border: if you seek asylum in the United States, you risk family separation and you risk being detained indefinitely. But for many of them, the alternative is even worse. People seek refuge in the United States for a lot of different reasons. In Tijuana, we've met refugees from over 50 countries speaking 14 different languages. We meet LGBT migrants from all over the world who've never been in a country in which they feel safe. We meet women from all over the world whose own governments refuse to protect them from brutal domestic violence or repressive social norms. Of course, we meet Central American families who are fleeing gang violence. But we also meet Russian dissidents, Venezuelan activists, Christians、uh, from China, Muslims from China, and thousands and thousands of other refugees fleeing all types of persecution and torture. Now, a lot of these people would qualify as refugees under the international legal definition. The Refugee Convention was created after World War II to give protection to people fleeing persecution based on their race, religion, nationality, political opinion. Or membership in a particular social group, but even those who would be refugees under the international definition are not going to win asylum in the United States, and that's because since 2017, the U.S. attorneys general have made sweeping changes to asylum law to make sure that less people qualify for protection in the United States. Now, these laws are mostly aimed at Central Americans and keeping them out of the country, but they affect other types of refugees as well. 
The result is that the U.S. frequently deports refugees to their persecution and death. The U.S. is also using detention to try to deter refugees and make it harder for them to win their cases. Today, there are over 55,000 immigrants detained in the United States, many in remote detention facilities, far from any type of legal help. And this is very important because it's civil and not criminal detention. There is no public defender system, so most detained immigrants are not going to have an attorney to help them with their cases. An immigrant who has an attorney is up to 10 times more likely to win their case than one who doesn't. And as you've seen, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the situation is even worse for refugee families today than it was during family separation. Since January of 2019, the U.S. has implemented a policy that's forced over 40,000 refugees to wait in Mexico for asylum hearings in the United States. These refugees, many of whom are families, are trapped in some of the most dangerous cities in the world, where they're being raped, kidnapped, and extorted by criminal groups. And if they survive for long enough to make it to their asylum hearing, less than 1% of them are able to find an attorney to help them with their cases. The U.S. government will point to the lowest asylum approval rates to argue that these people are not really refugees, when in fact, U.S. asylum law is an obstacle course designed to make them fail. Now, not every migrant at the border is a refugee. I meet plenty of economic migrants, for example, people who want to go to the United States to work to pay medical bills for a parent or school fees for a child back home. Increasingly, I'm also meeting climate refugees. In particular, I'm meeting a lot of indigenous Central Americans who can no longer sustain themselves by farming due to catastrophic drought in the region. We know that today people are migrating because of climate change and that more will do so in the future. But we simply don't have a legal system to deal with this type of migration. So it would make sense as a start to expand the refugee definition to include climate refugees, for example. But those of us in a position to advocate for those changes are too busy suing our governments to keep the meager legal protections that refugees enjoy under the current law. And we are exhausted. And it's, it's almost too late to help. And we know now that this isn't America's problem alone. From Australia's brutal offshore detention camps to Italy's criminalization of aid to migrants drowning in the Mediterranean, first world countries have gone to deadly lengths to keep refugees from reaching our shores. But they've done more than restrict the refugee definition. They've created parallel fascist style legal systems in which migrants have none of the rights that form the basis of a democracy, the alleged foundation of the countries in which they're seeking refuge. History shows us that the first group to be vilified and stripped of their rights is rarely the last. And many Americans and Europeans seem to accept an opaque and unjust legal system for non-citizens because they think they are immune. But eventually, these authoritarian ideals bleed over and affect citizens as well. I learned this firsthand when the U.S. government placed me on an illegal watch list for my work helping immigrants at the border. One day in January of 2019, I was leaving my office in San Diego and crossing the border to go back to my home in Mexico. Mexican officials, although they had given me a valid visa, stopped me and told me that I couldn't enter the country because a foreign government had placed a travel alert on my passport, designating me as a national security risk. I was detained and interrogated in a filthy room for hours. 
I begged the Mexican officials to let me go back to Mexico and pick up my son, who was only 10 months old at the time. But they refused, and instead they turned me over to CBP officials, where I was forced back into the United States. It took me weeks to get another visa so that I could go back to Mexico, and I went back to the border, visa in hand. But again, I was detained and interrogated because there was still a travel alert on my passport. Shortly after, leaked internal CBP documents confirmed that my own government had been complicit in issuing this travel alert against me. And since then, I haven't traveled to any other countries because I'm afraid I'll be detained and deported from those countries as well. These travel restrictions, detentions, and separation from my infant son are things I never thought I would experience as a U.S. citizen. But I'm far from the only person being criminalized for helping immigrants. The U.S. and other countries have made it a crime to save lives, and those of us who are simply trying to do our jobs. Are being forced to choose between our humanity and our freedom, and the thing that makes me so desperate is that all of you are facing the same choice, but you don't understand it yet. And I know there are good people out there. I saw thousands of you in the streets protesting family separation, and that largely helped bring about an end to the official policy. But we know that the government is still separating children, and things are actually getting worse. Today. The U.S. government is fighting for the right to detain refugee children indefinitely in prison camps. This isn't over. We cannot allow ourselves to become numb or look away. Those of us who are citizens of countries whose policies cause detention, separation, and death need to very quickly decide which side we're on. We need to demand that our laws respect the inherent dignity of all human beings. Especially refugees seeking help at our borders, but including economic migrants and climate refugees, we need to demand that refugees get a fair shot at seeking protection in our countries by ensuring that they have access to counsel, and by creating independent courts that are not subject to the political whims of the president. I know it's overwhelming, and I know this sounds cliche, but we need to call our elected representatives and demand these changes. I know you've heard this before, but have you made the call? We know these calls make a difference. The dystopian immigration systems being built up in first-world countries are a test of citizens to see how far you're willing to let the government go in taking away other people's rights when you think it won't happen to you. But when you let the government take people's children without due process and detain people indefinitely without access to counsel. You are failing the test. What's happening to immigrants now is a preview of where we're all headed if we fail to act. Thank you. For more TED talks, go to TED.com. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing. Then you need to join the millions of other users who switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com/tedtalks. That's o-d-o-o.com/tedtalks. Odoo: Modern Management Made Simple.